Welcome to Thriving with Mental Illness, a podcast with real talk, an open and honest conversation about issues surrounding mental health. There are no topics that are off limits and no questions that aren't okay to ask. I'm Mikkel Buck, author, public speaker, and suicide survivor who's lived with mental illness for over 20 years. And with me is my guy, Adam. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of our podcast. We are so excited today. We've got Ryan Winder joining us, a family friend and a marriage and family therapist. So And the Vegas therapist. And the Vegas therapist. He has a podcast, The Vegas Therapist. So he he is an expert. We talk all the time about how we are not experts, (laughs) even though we have many years of practical experience and practical discussions. But fortunately, we have experts like yourself that we can draw on. Well, I think you guys, I mean, living it is definitely gives you a sense of expertise that is much, it's helpful for sure. So <laughs> I, I feel like uh, having both is key because I did get a lot of professional advice, which obviously is so helpful and is irreplaceable. But I wish that I had had that practical advice also to let me know, okay, day to day, this is what it might look like day to day. This is maybe things that would work. And that would have helped me implement the professional advice so much more. So anyway, hand yeah. in glove. That's what this is. Right. Hand in glove. right. Well, it's good to be here. It's, I really enjoy what you guys are doing with the podcast and just getting the awareness out there about mental illness. In fact, I think tomorrow is national or world mental health awareness day. So oh, good wow. timing, right? Good timing. That's right. <laughs> good timing. Well, and you know, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is because obviously Mikkel is a female. She's a woman. Uh, for all those listening, that much should not be a surprise. Although when we go places, my name is spelled M-E-Q-U-E-L-L. And a lot of times when we go places, people confuse it with M-E-G-U-E-L-L. So when we check in, they're expecting you and a Spanish life partner. Right. So they're Mikkel. very surprised. Mikkel, yes. Mikkel and Miguel. Right. It could be Miguel, Miguel but oh, I am yeah. not. So, I'm yes. Mikkel. So Adam and Miguel. Um, but we have lots of listeners that are male, and we have a son who is male who is dealing mm-hmm. with um, depression. And I, there are some differences, we've, and we've got friends. Yeah. And, and I think there's something very different about women and their struggles with mental illness and men, even though, I mean, some are very similar, but there are very unique differences in how they experience things, maybe the expectations of people around them expectations of employers. I mean, there's all sorts of things. Um, But I don't know, do you have any just general thoughts about that? Yeah, so I kind of thought about starting out with a little bit of a story. And, and I know sometimes when we talk about stories uh, with with certain situations, I mean, we might, I mean, this is going to maybe sound extreme, but sometimes the extreme does happen more so than we think. And so I thought about this because this was something actually I just had been in contact with a client recently um, who had gone through something similar. Um, and, uh, and then he actually just recently sent me some stuff in relation to this. And so I thought, oh, perfect timing for this episode. But I just want everybody, if they could imagine being in a situation where especially men out there and you've decided to be very vulnerable and be open about how you're feeling about what your struggles are, what you're going through, and then for have the response to be back to you, hey, you need to man up and just go deal with it or man up in this one situation and just go kill yourself. How heartbreaking or devastating would that be to hear those words 
as you get to a place of vulnerability and express where you're at. And I think as much as we want to have a sense that things are changing in many ways, I think with, like you said, with men, there still is a lot of stigma there as far as what we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to feel. And like I said, those words just, I don't know, they just send me, you know, give me chills when I think about, you know, being in that type of a situation and being told that. And especially because, you know, 41, there's a, there's some stats out there. 41% of men who've contemplated suicide felt that they couldn't even talk about their feelings again, kind of just have to man up and do your thing and not, you know, not be in that vulnerable spot. And it's important to know as far as men and depression, suicide is the single biggest killer of men under 45. So again, we're talking about, you know, pretty, some pretty staggering statistics. So I think when we look to, you know, make fun of or mock men for being emotional, we really need to focus in on encouraging them to open up and not man up like we're like we've been so programmed to do. So anyway, that's just kind of some starting thoughts. I know, like I said, that may sound extreme, but that's happened. And I've had stories of that happening to people um, where that's been the response to them. So we can't just pretend like, you know, that's still not going on. It's been interesting because we called Sam. Sam's been living out of the house for a year and a half. He's college age and, and he started dealing with significant depression around 14, 15 years old. So he's been living with it for five or six years. So it's a significant thing. And he's worked through a lot of it. And he's in a really good spot now and, and has a lot of knowledge about it. But we just sat down and like had a chat with him before we're coming on air here, just because, like I said, I had had a conversation with him just a few weeks back and he was expressing how frustrating it is to be his age, to be a man experiencing depression. And he's like, I'm not allowed to be emotional about it. I'm not allowed to talk about it. And he's like, for somebody my age, the best I can do, like girls can go and talk to their girlfriends. It's okay. If they cry, it's okay. If you know, any of those things, but for a guy, like the very best I can do is have, he says a homie, I have a homie, but basically all I can do is is vent. Like a homie's not going to make me feel better. A homie's not going to give me any advice on how to work moving forward. He's just going to let me vent about it. And then that's it. Like that's the the most support I can expect to get as Mm -hmm. a, you know, college age boy dealing with depression. And that made me so sad that that's the highest expectation he feels he can have. That's rough. Yeah, that's very, yeah, it's really rough. And I think that that kind of goes back to what I was saying too, just as far as like some of the dynamics, but also too, I mean, I just, you know, with the notion of men really struggling with um, the idea of being vulnerable and then the, the notion of judgment and shame that comes with that vulnerability. Right. And, I, but I even think it's a little bit of a, it's probably a difficult thing, especially with what you described with your son is that being on the other side and him just feeling like he can vent, you know, to this other person, the other person is probably on that side of it too. Maybe there's a part of them that wants to be more open or say, Hey, that really is, that's, and maybe they don't understand they don't have the tools for that either. Cause that's not something they've been taught, but also too, I think there's always that dynamic of vulnerability on both sides. I remember I had a really good friend in Las Vegas and, you know, we'd have some deep conversations. We used to talk about the nature of that, just having deeper conversations with somebody and how like, it's kind of like this feeling out process of like, 
okay, can I share this with you? Are you going to think I'm weird or, you know what I mean? And you kind of just at some point kind of have to go for it per se. Right. <laughs> and then when you do, you're like, okay, how's that going to land? Oh, like you hope so badly. Right. It lands yeah. well. <laughs> he doesn't think I'm lame or whatever. It's like, you know, yeah. So the, the landing part, but I definitely can see where he's coming from and and that's that struggle to find somebody that you really can feel like you can open up to and like i said that's just definitely a part of our, our the the male structuring that it is harder for us to be vulnerable but i wouldn't necessarily say that people don't want to be it's just like I said that fear of the shame and judgment that comes with um the 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 idea that if we do act that way or or open up in that way that that's what's going to be on the other side of it you know, when you talk about some, some, you know, terrible things that people have said to that breaks my heart, yeah, by the way, that, I mean, it, it just, it breaks my heart to have somebody respond in that way, because you're never going to reach out and ask for help. Mm-hmm. It, like, that's the very, very last thing you want to do. It's so hard to do it. And so to have one of your clients or your friend, whoever it was, reach out in that way at their lowest and have that be the response, like, I don't know if I would ever reach out again. In all honesty, I don't know if I ever would. I right. think forever I would keep it to myself after that, which yeah. is never going to end well. If, you know, mental illness is equated to mental weakness, you know, and they just assume that this is a weakness. And it, in some way, it's a little bit, you know, condescending if it's okay for women, because it's like, okay, we understand. Uh, you know, it's almost like women are weaker than men and so we're like okay it's fine for you to deal with it but the men we have a different standard because we're physically stronger and well nobody would tell me to man up over it they might tell me to put on like my big girl panties or something like that (laughs) different connotation though you know what i mean like that's a different connotation even though it's essentially the same message yeah and I, i definitely think that 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 notion of manning up definitely speaks to more of like, you can't be weak, right? Kind of like what you're saying is there's definitely a notion of, of weakness that underlies that that's not okay, or that you shouldn't be at that place where you, you, you expose that weakness or even feel that way to, to, uh, you should be stronger than that or whatever the dynamic is, which is kind of interesting too. Another thing that I, I, I was thinking about this and it's maybe veering off a little bit, but it's the notion of oftentimes men are depressed about being depressed. And so mm-hmm. when they start to feel depressed, it, it, it almost exaggerated by like, Oh, I'm depressed. And that probably that, that idea about being depressed makes them feel more depressed because again, what that might signify as far as them being weak or them not, you know, being strong enough to manage whatever they think is going on or whatever it might be. So then that depression kind of compounds itself by those dynamics that surround it. Yeah. So that quote, I think is from the book that you brought up in your podcast, mm-hmm. Terrence Real. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. That, yep. Yep. That was from that. Sorry. I should have mentioned that. Um, not to take credit for it myself. <laughs> it, it was <laughs> it's not what I was trying to out. Right. No, I know. No, it's okay. But no, it's a good book. It is a good book for men. It's the book. I don't want to, uh, um, yeah, I don't want to talk about it or what is now I'm drawing a blank, but Yes, yeah, something I don't want along to talk those, about it. Yeah, the secret, the secret legacy. Legacy, legacy of, of uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yes, thank you. Sorry, I took <laughs> notes because I knew I wouldn't remember it. Is the only reason. <laughs> but you mentioned two different books. You mentioned that book. I just feel like it's it's good to offer men some more resources that 
you know, they might need in addition mm. to just traditional depression books. So that one in the Knight in Shining Armor, you also mentioned, which yeah. we again had an interesting discussion with Sam about. So, you know, tell okay. us about those. Yeah. The, I mean, the, again, the, the, the first one by Terrence Real is more of a clinical kind of book, but there is, it, it, I've referred it to a lot of men who, um, have been able to get through it. And it's not necessarily that clinical that it's not understanding. It's definitely a value for them just to understand, especially the, the components of shame and how that plays a role in male depression. And then which compounds the fact of not wanting to talk about it because we don't want to be again, exposed to those feelings of not good enough or less than or weak or things that we've been talking about. The, the Night in Shining Armor book is more of I've used it in men's groups that I've done just to try to, it's more of like almost like an analogy book, just about how men have to dance around or feel like they've got to go around in their armor and just always be in that place of, of protecting others, protecting themselves, not letting down uh, their armor as a way of, again, being vulnerable or just being almost more connected to things, whether it's family, um, you know, other people, whatever it is, but just kind of keeping that armor on as a way of like, well, this is just who I have to be in society. So it's just kind of more of like a, like I said, it's, it's just a, a book that, represents a lot of things that we experience on a day-to-day basis that, you know, hopefully we can kind of start to bring that down and not feel like we just always have to be in that suit of armor. So. So I'm curious, what was your advice then? What was the rest of that conversation when your client told you that? Um, well, so this, uh, when you told me about the, to man up that part, yeah. yeah um, well, the, I guess the, the thing about that was, is that he was telling me a story about what had happened to him in his past. And so the, the, the situation had already taken place and he had, the, the lucky thing about it was, is that he was already getting help at that time. And he had a very good therapist that he was working with. And part of the reason that he ended up with me is because the therapist had had, you know, moved. And so then he, she, she transferred him over to me. And so then we were just recounting some of the stuff of his past. So that kind of in a, in a, in a, almost like a lucky way, I didn't have to deal with that, that part of it, but it did send him spiraling into a place where he then, you know, did contemplate suicide and, and, and was very close to doing that just because he felt so hopeless about the situation and about kind of what was happening for him. So in, in some ways I, yeah, I said, lucky that I didn't have to deal with that directly, but just recounting that was still, it was just heartbreaking to hear that from him. So what would your advice be? Because comments, I mean, like you said, we yeah. have come a long way, but the fact remains, there's so much farther to go. You know, there's yeah. still so many, I, I had a couple odd conversations these past few weeks with other people. And I came home and told Adam, like, are they punking me? Like, do people really think and say that in this day and age? Like all we know about mental illness, I can't believe there's still comments like that. So yeah. do you have a response when you get a comment like that? Do you have any response that may help neutralize the situation perhaps? Well, I don't know if it's like a, a necessarily a response that neutralizes it. I mean, obviously I think in those situations, you just have to try to like encourage and support people to feel like they are doing the right thing by being more open and being allowing their, you know, their feelings to come out and to talk through things. Like it's a much better thing for them. There's not really, I mean, outside of just giving them empathy for something that challenging or that heavy, I mean, that's really all you can do in that situation. But I think it's just more like, Hey, you know, you're on the right path. This is really better for you to be doing it this way. And in the end, yes, it's going to be 
you know, maybe difficult, but this is where you need to be. I think for me, I was thinking about this too, is like, you know, th- there's nothing more satisfying for me. I've had a couple of clients recently that, you know, they're, they come into your office. And I've had a couple, like I said, that, that have kind of just given me this feeling. They're these kind of like guys that they got heavy, you know, long beards. They just came in from like, you know, like the construction job and they walk in and they just open up and are just emotional and just kind of give you everything that's inside of them. And you're just like, Oh, I wasn't expecting that. I was thinking this was going to be, <laughs> you know, so even in your own mind, you're like, this, this, this doesn't fit, but it's just great to see when people, like said, they can bring those, those shields down and be able to just feel safe enough to really talk about what's going on for them. And it really obviously does them a lot of good and they, uh, and they feel it. I mean, and I think that's the one thing too, is that when people really get to that space and even when you hear some of the negative stuff, when you're in a session or when you're with somebody and they open up and they, and they share something that's been, they, they've been holding on to. I mean, it's a relief to them and they feel that. And I think just even having that reinforcement of them being able to feel like, Oh, that really did feel better. Like holding on to that really sucks, mm-hmm. you know? And, and when you let something go, you notice it immediately. And so it's almost like kind of pointing that out to them and allowing them to kind of sit with that feeling of like, Hey, just notice what that feels like to let that go or to let that out and to not feel like you have to carry that. So I think it's not, like I said, it's not necessarily something you say, but more of just letting them kind of notice what that process is like for them as they, as they are able to do that. You know, Mikel often talks about, you know, actually your, your life and relationships can be better because of mental illness. You know, a lot of times we just think it's this negative thing that, you know, if we can just overcome it, then we can do better, but actually it can make relationships better. I was just thinking about, you know, sometimes we think as men, if we were just Superman and we had no weaknesses, that would be the best. That would be the ideal. We could just, we would know everything we could protect everyone from everything. Solve all the problems. We would have no concerns. We'd have no doubts of our own. We would have no insecurities of our own. And we could just be this, you know, Superman figure. And I think ultimately that does not lead to healthy relationships. You know, some of the times where Mikkel and I have been the closest is when she's opened up and I've opened up about things that I'm struggling with. And so I think it's a this false understanding or false idea that, that if you're just perfect and, and perfectly strong and capable in every way, that you're going to have the best marriage. You know, you're going to have the best friendship. You're going to have the best relationships. I think that both of us have to have our moments of crying on the floor in the closet. I mean, not to out you or anything like that, but like, that's where we bond, right? I have plenty of mine and it makes me feel better that you also trust me with yours. You know, I mean, not, that's what bonds us. You know, if I was the only one who ever needed help in the relationship, I might stop going to you for help. I I don't know, you know, or if you made me feel bad, like, I don't know, on your big girl hands. Well, well, even, well, even in, even in situational stuff, you know, I mean, I think like recently I lost my mom um, and to her battle with, well, she lost her battle to cancer, but we lost our mom and I have four brothers. So all boys, we grew up on a farm. So we're the classic rough and tumble kind of boys. But even in that moment where all five of us were surrounding at her bedside when she passed away and you have five boys, 
just bawling like babies. I, I'm, I'm my mom or my wife was like, you know, like that to her was meaningful just to be able to like, she's like to see you kind of be emotional and not in a, like, again, like a poking kind of way, but just like that was more attractive to her in some sense. Right. Than just being stoic and being able to kind of like, I'm going to just get through this, you know, but to see the really the raw emotion and the feelings come out, that was more meaningful in that situation than, you know, than like I said, to be tough or to be the Superman or to be the guy that just, Hey, I got to hold it together. That's not always what people are looking for. And like you said, in, in our relationship that actually connects us when we can tap into that emotion and feel that. And our partner gets a sense of what that's like and draws them actually closer to us. Cause there's a real sense of, of connection with that, you know? So, yeah. And just thinking about your client, you said, you know, this big rough guy coming out of it, maybe, you know, without mental illness, that side of him would never come about mm -hmm. be this, what you would expect, you know, very close, you know, just suck it up, you know, do whatever. Don't talk about your feelings. Don't cry. And, and, you know, mental illness has made him tap into a side of him and we think of it as bad, but in, in a lot of ways, it's actually beneficial to move forward and it's not a negative right right well and i think yeah it's it mental illness i think the other part of that too that a lot of times where depression pops up for men is that they're i mean especially you know and maybe i have a skewed view of the world because of what i do and the people that tend to obviously walk through your door definitely there's there's a lot of stuff going on but but i think even just the notion of trauma you know even with trauma and stuff there there's a lot of men out there that just they don't deal with their trauma and at, as time goes on in life you know that's going to lead to other things that then kind of look like maybe depression or look like you know other kind of disorders substance use whatever but when you get underneath of that it's just it's a ton of trauma and the same mentality for trauma is the same mentality for depression i've just got to suck it up and deal with it and you know and just kind of like hey yeah this happened, but you know, it's, that's life or that's whatever, you know, and you just kind of like play it off, like no big deal, but it's, you know, it's wreaking havoc on your life and on your relationships. And so I, I agree with you, whether it's the mental illness side, or even just the notion of recognizing that, Hey, maybe this stuff that happened to me, maybe I shouldn't just like pretend like it was no big deal. Like maybe there is something there that I need to really work at. And sometimes that's the result of you know, failed relationships, or again, like, you know, something that, you know, it kind of pours out into this long period of depression. But like I said, whether it's a trauma or depression, there's still that same mindset of like, Oh, I just gotta, you know, just suck it up or de deal with it in whatever way and just kind of keep going. So yeah. Which never, never works. Right. You right, know, this never right. works. You, you brought up something interesting too, um, in your episode, that men are a lot less likely to ask for help. They're less compliant when they're given things to do and to come in to meet or to use medication or whatever these tools are that you're giving them. They're less likely and what's the word? They're just more hesitant to come yeah. in and do these things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, and I think the one thing with that is like some of that's again, being seen as weak by doing that. I think the other part is, you know, sometimes things compound on each other. Like, I don't know if I mentioned this in the episode, but it's like, okay, if I take medication, 
And then that has negative side effects. And sometimes one of the negative side effects has to do with sex and libido and different things and functioning. So then it's like, not only do I have to incorporate now, not only I have to take a medication that makes me feel less than now I can't perform sexually, which makes me feel less than. So then they start adding those things up in their mind. And it's like, man, I'll just never, you know, I'll just yeah. go the other way. <laughs> Stop. Stop it back down. Right. <laughs> it's like, ah, that was a good try, but we'll just not do that. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, it can be definitely a challenge challenge to get somebody on board with, with those things. And like I said, in my podcast, it's like just this constant battle of kind of going back and forth. Well, you should, no, I shouldn't. Well, you should, you know, and you know, I mean, there are, like I said, there are some out there that definitely take it and, 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 and do their best with it. And, and not all those problems are long lasting. It's just that sometimes they, they pop up for a little bit. And then like I said, you get freaked out, like, oh man, now I can't, you know, I'm not as, you know, I don't have as much of a sex drive and what does that mean? And all these other things. And so, yeah, all the fun stuff, but. <laughs> well, I can even think that it sometimes it would affect your performance at work. Mm-hmm. Like when you're, before you're really if you're in the middle and you're not really stable you might be going in late you might be distracted you not might not be as productive and if you lost your job on top of all of this you know and you, you talk about the other things but then you know as men a lot of times we get a lot of you know our self-esteem from our jobs and in making money for the family and you take that away as well and suddenly there's i mean that's a lot to deal with yeah, for sure. And I think that that's why, I mean, just, I mean, obviously if, if a loss of job happens, that definitely would be more impactful too. But that's also why, I, and I mentioned this in the, the episode on depression with men is, uh, is the fact that oftentimes men, the way that they handle depression is by jumping more into work or trying to do those mm-hmm. things that kind of make them feel more, you know, more manly or whatever. So that you'll see like a little bit of a different dynamic there. Whereas, you know, they're not necessarily sitting home, laying at the couch. They might force themselves into work and working more and putting in more overtime because they're trying to force their way through that. Or another part that they'll do is they'll, they'll, another thing that men will do is they'll engage in more risky behaviors, um, you know, as a way of, and I think that that's a way of more of trying to get some type of dopamine rush as a way of making themselves feel better. But at the same time that, that risky behavior, I mean, who knows what it could be, whether it's, you know, driving erratic or crazy or, you know, taking in more substance or whatever it might be just to try to feel better in light of the way that they're feeling, you know, more so on a day-to-day basis. So not always the best approach, but again, I think that comes from, I don't want to accept this sense of weakness inside myself, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting when Sam was struggling and towards the end of high school, he used to go cliff jumping with his friends. Mm-hmm. He was, it was extremely. He's a, risky. yeah. Like he's a high adventure kind of kid anyway. But when he was really going through the thick of depression, like he was being crazy risky, which is funny coming from me. Cause I like flips off cliffs, skydive, <laughs> you know, like I, I right. do some pretty crazy stuff. He's learned it from mm-hmm. me. But beyond the point of, of rational, like any rational person wouldn't do some of the things he did. Like he, he went cliff jumping, jumped off a cliff, didn't even make it to the water because he jumped from so far back and so high up. Like we went into the doctor because of course he injured himself. And the doctor said, just so you know, people who come in doing what you, what you just did, 
don't walk out of here. They never walk again. Like, I can't believe the fact you can even walk and I can't believe that you're going to be okay. And that was interesting. Like that was a kind of a switch that flipped for Sam and he's like, okay, no more risky stuff. Cause he's yeah. realizing the consequences of that, but you are exactly right. He was struggling so much. He's like anything. I, just I got it. Yeah. Anything. Right. Right. So that's where I said, like, and especially when you're looking at that and you're thinking about depression, those two things don't mat up, match up. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's like, here they are doing these things. It's like, it doesn't feel like that person might be depressed, but it's an attempt, you know, an extreme attempt to really make themselves feel better. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's interesting. So what would your advice be then for somebody who's struggling with depression, maybe somebody who either doesn't have a support person that understands or is not wanting into wanting to get in to get help because of the stigma or other things like that? Well, I mean, I think if it's about the stigma, I mean, like I said, at some point we have to kind of have that wrestle with ourselves. In fact, you know, one of the things as I was going back and listening to that episode, you know, as far as when it comes to healing, I made mention of that healing for men requires this confrontation with one's own self and one's own feelings that you have to kind of have, right? Because it's like, I have to kind of wrestle with this idea that I don't feel good and whatever that has meant to me or means to me, I have to figure that out to where I can deal with it. And obviously a healthier way or a better way, because what the way I've been doing it is not working for me. So having that confrontation with self and moving into a place of acceptance, like, Hey, this is just where I am. And I can either continue to fight it or I can do something different about it and get the help I need, whether it's, you know, medication or going to talk to somebody or whatever it is. I mean, I don't, it's not, I think sometimes when people, and I've had this even more recently too. I mean, so again, these things still exist. And I think people, um, well, yeah, I'll just say I had a client just last week and it's like the first thing he wants to know is how long this is going to be, you know? So that's another part of it, right? Like, how long am I going to be here? I'm like, I don't know how long you're going to be here. Like, how long do you want to be here? It's like, well, I don't even want to be here. I'm like, well, exactly. So let's just take it one session at a time, you know, like, but you know, so they're already looking for that process to be over with and it hasn't even started. So that idea of acceptance of like, I just need to do whatever I need to do and whatever that's going to take that's what it's going to take. I think people, if they have that, if they can start out in that place of acceptance, I think the rest is so much easier, but if you're battling it like all the way along, it's like, it's almost like that makes it worse. Right. Cause you're just not, you're not feeling this sense of like, okay, okay. I'll try medication or okay. I'll go talk to somebody or okay. And I'll, you know, kind of opening yourselves up to those things. But if you're just constantly battling yourself, it's almost like it just takes longer for those things to work. And then when they say, well, that therapy wasn't that great. It's like, well, yeah, it wasn't that great. Cause you didn't even talk or you didn't even want to open up or you didn't even want to be there, which again, I get there. I get that maybe the first time, but giving it an opportunity is probably the biggest thing, right? Giving it a chance and, and having that, like I said, that sense of acceptance for, Hey, this is just what it is, you know? So yeah. anyway, hopefully that, I don't know if that answered your question, but kind of like, how yeah. fast can I fix this? How fast yeah, I mean, can I be done with this process? Right, right. Like what's right. the minimum amount of work that I have to do yes, to move yeah. on to my life? <laughs> right. Yeah. Where <laughs> you say it is what it is. Like here yeah. I am, like, all right, let's get to yeah. work, man. Those yeah. And just not, not, not try to think about the end, but just like, let me just be here. It is what it is. And, you know, the, like I said, if I'm in that place of acceptance and just let that be 
what it is, then it's going to be a much better process for you than just like I said, fighting it all the way. So well, I know there, are, you know, some male stereotypes, you know, wanting to fix it is one of those that, um, you know, I've fallen into, we've talked about that on our podcast uh, before, but it might be a little bit like that where we're like, okay, I got this problem. Okay. I need to fix it. Okay. Where do I go? Oh, I go talk to the therapist. Okay. Mr. Therapist, uh, let's fix it. Okay. Mm. Well, how long is this going to take? Am I going to be done in 45 minutes? And we'll just, you know, wrap this up and check, check, and I'll be fixed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just switching out of the mindset that we're going to solve this problem in a short period of time to more of a long-term just lifestyle. Well, because right. sometimes it's not, at least for me, I, I assume that this is something that is true across the board, but I, I just know that it's been true for me. It's not like I went through and like worked out how this worked and then got on medication and assessed and then went back to my life exactly as it was before without any other changes. It changed. It changed the way I think about things. It changed the mm -hmm. way I approach things. It changed the way I interacted with other people and also how I interacted with myself. And I think those changes were for the better. And that's why one of the reasons I say that mental illness has actually been a positive thing in my life. It's made me a better person. It's made me have better relationships because it's changed some of the ways that I do things. Yeah. Which I think is, 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 um, a great part of that. And in fact, one of the things I was talking about, or I was thinking about before was just the notion of when we kind of come into therapy or something like that, you want to be able to identify and address some of those negative patterns that you've established, which if you do identify those and you eliminate negative patterns, um, that should be a bonus for your life right there. Right. Cause now I'm not, I'm not doing things in a negative way, whether it's having better boundaries, whether it's getting rid of things that have been problematic, like substance use or whatever it might be. I mean, obviously those are going to be helpful to your life. So the idea of that bringing you to a place where now I can actually work on those things is, is, is such a benefit that we just have to, again, get to that, be able to allow ourselves the opportunity to, to have that, that I guess, take place in our life. And kind of going back to what Adam was saying too, as far as the fix it side, I mean, that definitely for guys is a, is a thing we want to, we want to know how, when all the, you know, the, the specifics of the fixing. And even with that too, it's like, just again, giving into a process of like, I don't know how long it's going to take to fix you. Like we could get into a session or two or whatever and realize, you know, oh man, like, look at all this trauma that's there, you know, look at all this past stuff. Well, what's a, what's a pathway through that? Well, I, you know, again, it just depends on what that is going to look like for you and the work that you're willing to do on that. So that's the whole part about, you know, when people come in and, and if they aren't in that place of acceptance and not fighting it, it's like, I should just be open to whatever kind of comes and allow the process to be what it is because the notion of healing really is not even maybe just about the depression. It could just even be about whatever else might be lingering there in my life that I need to address. Right. Mm -hmm. Or the idea that maybe through this process, you come out on the other side with a better life, mm -hmm. but even though it might look different from your life before, you know, like what you're talking about is you didn't go back to the way you lived. Yeah. It wasn't like fix me so that I can go back and do things exactly the same. Right. That wasn't, yeah. I mean, the whole point of therapy, I, I feel like I've done quite a bit of therapy on and off over the years. Some of it's mental illness related. Some of it's not like what you said, 
And Mm -hmm. all of it's so valuable. I wish people, I feel like there are two things that I wish everybody in the world knew. One of them is how helpful a good therapist can be, the tools they can give you, the way, I mean, it just like clears up your mind, helps you think in a positive way. What can I do about this? How can I implement these tools to make my life and my relationships around me healthier? That's like key, key. I wish everybody could have that experience and understand how helpful a professional like yourself is. The second one is how good you feel when you exercise. If everybody knew how good you felt, everybody would do it. Why do you not know this? It makes you feel so good. That one's, you know, less of importance, but the professional therapy one, I wish people knew that. Yeah, me too. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, sometimes, I mean, it depends on how busy I am. It depends on, on that. But, but I think, but it also speaks to, it's amazing when you do good work with somebody and how quickly they will get your name out there because that of that very reason, right? Like when you find somebody that's helpful to you, you want to share that with everybody else. And, and, and I think when other people are looking now, you have the sense of like, Hey, this is, this is where you want to go, or this is a place that you can go. And that those things that you might be worried about with therapy are kind of like, just put that to behind. Cause I'm, I'm giving you the stamp of approval that this person will help you type of thing. So I think, you know, that, that notion of, like you said, fear, maybe as far as what am I going to get on the other side and being able to recognize that, you know, good therapy doesn't come from everybody, but that's the other thing I tell people too. If we're not a good fit, don't feel like you're obligated to me or feel stuck in this, in this space. Maybe there's somebody else better out there for you. And sometimes it can be, that can even be a process for for people as well. But again, being willing to put in the time to do that and just say, Oh, you know, I tried that once and it wasn't, you know, it just didn't work out. It's like, just, you know, it may take three or four different therapists before you find the right fit for yourself, you know? So don't feel bad about that or it's not, you know, not everybody's a fit for me. I'm not a fit for everybody. And it just, that's okay. You know? Cause I know that you have gone to different therapists over the years and some you love and some you would never go back to. Yeah. So for the same reason, what, what advice would you give people? Like, when do you know you're with somebody that's a good fit? Um, for me, that's a bad fit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, a bad fit. I remember taking Sam in for his very first therapy appointment, and like he was super reluctant anyway. He's like a 15 year old teenage boy that doesn't want to talk about his feelings anyway. We go in, he goes out of the room, and the therapist is like, "I can have him fixed in three sessions." And I'm like, "Sam, we are never going back." Right. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> but for me, for me, it's somebody personable that I can talk to. I like somebody who, like you, like tell stories of your own. You know, I grew up, I had this situation. My mom passed away. Like I was devastated and I cried with my brothers. I want somebody who's going to relate to me on a personal and on a human level, not somebody who's going to talk clinically to me and give me, you know, educational theories about how to work through my problems. I don't, I don't like that. And I also want to go home with tools to use. I don't, I don't want to go in and just sit and like ruminate over and over about hard things in my life. That's not helpful. I want to understand why I feel the way I do, but it's to get to the point where I can change it and move forward. I don't want to sit and go in therapy and cry about it for hours on end. That's not helpful for me. No, that's not. <laughs> so yes, I've had some of all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, there's definitely, it's, there's all sorts out there. So it, it, but as far as the process goes, like I said, I mean, sometimes we just have to be willing to go through that or 
I think that's another even place of like being willing to open up, you know, like ask, I mean, again, if we ask somebody, Hey, do you know a good therapist? That's another vulnerable place. Right. Because like, well, what if they don't, or what if they then all of a sudden imagine me, you know, thinking about somebody, you know, it's like, Oh, now what are they going to think about me? It's, it's like, even, I mean, here in Idaho, but also even in Vegas, it's a small world. And I mean, I would have people that would kind of come out of my office and into the waiting room and they'd see somebody they know they knew or whatever. And it's like, you know, they kind of have this like twinge or whatever. It's like, well, if they're in the office and you're in the office, what does it matter? You're both in the office. Like, just that's an easy solution. That's an easy fix right there. You're both there. It's like not a big deal. So, but, you know, again, we just get this notion. It's vulnerability, right? That's another, like somebody knows, somebody has a sense of whatever. But so even just the notion of, like I said, asking for, for somebody, asking somebody for a recommendation can be a vulnerable thing, but something that might be well worth your, well with your time, because that could help save you a lot of like strain, right? Because yeah. like, hey, if I know somebody that knows somebody that takes a lot of the work out of it. And then I can just, you know, go on their recommendation. And, and even then it might not be a good fit, but it's at least potentially a better starting point than just, you know, doing it yourself. Right. Right. I have another, uh, I want to circle back to something just because I've heard it from uh, listeners and some friends, um, but it's about work-related stuff. And I know there are some men that are reluctant to have anyone know about their struggles for fear that it will impact their career, that somebody's going to look differently at them uh, if, if they're aware of depression or mental illness or whatever the, the issues are. And so they try desperately to just, you know, put up a front so that nobody at work knows anything. And I, I totally get that. I mean, I understand both sides. But, you know, you've got to, sometimes the employer has to know what you're struggling with to help you and to have a good long-term relationship. But at the same time, there's risk in doing that. But I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on how to juggle that? Um, I don't know about juggling it because I think that there's a, I mean, I thought at first when you're talking, are you talking about like firefighters and police officers and all that? I mean, cause there's, <laughs> cult, there's cultural workplaces that definitely, still have huge issues with mental health, you know? Um, and I mean, I have, I do some supervision for interns and one of my interns in Vegas, they, he works for like Henderson fire and rescue. And I think Henderson police, so he kind of works for both. And it's like, I mean, they have one of the highest suicide rates, you know, in the nation. And yet, you know, the, the idea of like going and asking for help is still like this huge taboo, right? Because they're manly men, right? They're cops, they're firefighters or whatever, but still that cultural dynamic is just like, it's so hard to break down that they just, you know, asking for help or being in that place where they would need help is such a taboo thing for them. It, it just, it's, again, it's crushing because like they probably need more help than anybody just for what they see and what they go through and the wow. things that they experience. Um, so, I mean, as far as like, what I could advise for somebody, it's really hard because that, I mean, depending on their work environment, I mean, I have seen though, I, I will say this, I mean, outside of those, those areas like fire and, and police and stuff, I, 
I haven't really ever seen too many people where they said their boss wasn't supportive or understanding. I mean, I think it, it kind of just goes back to what I was saying before about that vulnerability, about that first opening up, like you, like, how is this going to land? Right. How are they going to receive this? But I don't, anybody that's ever told me that their boss or somebody is aware of their situation, I, I've never really seen it be a negative. So I think it's more of just us getting comfortable and us being willing to, to open up and share. So, yeah, yeah, I think for the most part, you know, I just see all the time there's companies that are about mental health awareness and, and, you know, HR departments, you know, are very mm. sensitive to these issues. And so I think we're, we're making huge strides in, mm. in the ability for people to be open and have an understanding uh, supervisor have an understanding boss. They'll just say, "Okay, let's let's work through this. What do you need? How can we help?" Uh, and it's it's not a negative thing. I, I can't say it's across the board, right? But I definitely see a trend where there's more sensitivity to it. There's more discussions about. It. There's more seminars that I see, you know, put on about mental health. You know, I'm an attorney, and and we have, you know, tons and tons. In fact. I'm still licensed in Nevada. And one of the requirements is you have to take one of your credit hours every year has to be on like substance abuse and mental health and, and all these things that nobody would take otherwise. <laughs> I mean, they had to mandate it. <laughs> right. Or the attorney, no attorney is going to go, yeah, I'd like to know more about my mental health and, you know, how to not drink. And, mm. you know, uh, <laughs> but it's a big, big problem in the legal profession. And so I see these seminars all the time about, opening up, you know, the bar has, has a whole department of, um, you know, if you're struggling, a call and reach out. So I don't know, I, I hope we're going the right direction. I feel like we are. Um, because if, if, and I know as an employer, if, if you know what's going on with your staff and what they're dealing with, it's so much easier to understand. Otherwise you misinterpret a lot of things and, right. and you you know, and it can lead to someone getting fired unnecessarily because you just misunderstood what was going on. Yeah. I mean, it's like, why is their production kind of, you know, failing or whatever type of thing, just having that understanding helps you to then help them or help them to get the help that they need and be supportive about that and have them be the person that they maybe have been in the past or whatever. So definitely mm -hmm. is a much better approach than not knowing and then just kind of letting, whatever happened, but then as the individual, like not reaching out for help and just kind of letting things slip through the cracks and feeling like I can ask for help. And then maybe recognizing later on that, Oh, if I would have just reached out that there could have been that support there for me. And I didn't have to go through the, the, the pain of getting to the place where I actually lost my job. Like, you know, something else could have been, been done. So, so yeah, I do think we have come a long way. I think there's a lot more help out there. I mean, even the intern that I have that's working in, you know, the fire and rescue kind of area, I mean, he's noticing a shift too. I mean, it's just, it's just slow crawl sometimes, you know, but, but there is, there is movement there. Um, it just, you know, in some situations it takes a little bit longer. So. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I had a really hard time picking what we wanted to talk to you about because you have so many areas that you just have such good information in. And we ended up going just because you do the men's groups and like you've done these episodes and you do have specific uh, expertise, I guess, in the area with men in depression. So 
Anyway, everybody go listen to The Vegas Therapist. He's got some great episodes. And frankly, I would love to have you on again to talk about some more of your uh, valuable insight. Oh, I would appreciate it. It's great. Well, you guys are great. Like I said, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it was great to be on and to talk about these things. Cause as, like I said, as much as we do talk about them, that still can be talked about more. So, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, thank you to all of you for joining us today. We're really happy you were here as always. If you have questions that you'd like to submit, you can submit them on Instagram at thriving with mental illness or on Facebook, Mikhail Buck. If you like the podcast, rate it and share it with a friend. And remember, there are no topics that are off limits and no questions that aren't a good ask. We'll see you next time. See you next time.